Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Primal Potential Podcast, the incremental anti-diet solution for effective permanent weight loss. Primal Potential is committed to helping you overcome emotional eating, hormonal imbalances, unhealthy habits, and your dieting mindset through education and inspiration. We don't just talk about what you should eat and what you should avoid. We talk strategy. Primal Potential is bridging the gap between knowing and doing. Each episode will leave you with concrete tips for making positive changes that make a difference. Primal Potential is here to help you lose weight, get healthy, and master fat loss naturally. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. We are going to get right to our topic today. Today's topic is dairy. Um, you know, uh, animal products like yogurt and cheese and things like that, milk. It's one I have been emailed about so often. And dairy is one of the divides between paleo and primal. And there are exceptions to every rule. And you'll find people in both camps, the primal camp and the paleo camp, with different perspectives. But as a very general rule of thumb, in my opinion, Paleo and the paleo community tends to be more vehemently anti-dairy, like no dairy, no way, while primal tends to see a place for certain types of dairy on occasion for people who can tolerate it. And like I said, there are people in the paleo community who feel like dairy can be enjoyed in certain situations for certain people, but by and large, as a generalization, paleo tends to be anti-dairy, while primal is a little bit more accepting of certain types of dairy. And My own standpoint is that there is no right or wrong answer as a whole. It's a very individual situation, and there are unhealthy ways to consume dairy, and there are some healthier ways to consume dairy. There are some benefits that we should understand with dairy, and there are some very major significant risks and real concerns that we need to consider when we're making this choice. And I also want to be very clear that for some people, dairy is a big problem. And I'm not just talking about people who are lactose intolerant. You might be someone who is consuming dairy on a made, on a regular basis and not know that it is a real legit problem for you. So you may or may not know and dairy may or may not be a problem for you. And I want to get into this. You might find that you're able to reach your fat loss goals and your health goals while incorporating certain types of dairy. But that might not be the truth, okay? That might not be your case. In my case, I used to eat a lot of dairy. I was a huge fan of cheese. You guys know I love ice cream. For a long time, I went without dairy altogether, and that act of eliminating it for a little while showed me that I am extremely intolerant of dairy. Now, I still eat ice cream on occasion, Uh, and there are a couple of types of dairy that I can enjoy without a problem. Ice cream is not one of them. Uh, I did find after reintroducing it, and I never noticed it before because there were so many other irritants and toxins in my system, uh, but I am very sensitive to certain kinds of dairy. So the best way 
to know your own tolerance or intolerance of dairy products is to do an elimination test. Remove all dairy, all dairy, right? So milk, cheese, yogurt, uh, butter for a couple of weeks and pay attention to how you feel. Now, what do I mean how you feel? Your hunger. Are there any noticeable changes in your hunger, the frequency or intensity of your hunger? Your energy level. Is it up? Is it down? Is it unchanged? Are you having more major shifts in your energy throughout the day? What about your cravings? How about your progress to your fat loss goals? Do you accelerate your progress when you remove dairy? How about your mood? Yeah, your mood. <laughs> your mood or your immunity. Your skin health. That's a really big one. And of course, your digestion is another huge one. After a couple of weeks, pick one form of dairy, not all dairy altogether, but one form of dairy and add it in and then continue to monitor. Are there changes, positive or negative? Did it make a difference in your hunger, your mood, your skin health, your digestive health? How do you feel? The best approach, the best approach every single time is not to believe that a certain food is either a, you know, a heck yes or a heck no, but realize that you need to evaluate how it impacts you, how it impacts you. And recognize, too, that this might change, right? Because there are hormonal implications that we'll get into with dairy and with most foods. And so as you become healthier and more hormonally balanced, as you lose fat and you bring your hormones into a more um state of equilibrium, you might notice that something that was okay before isn't okay or something that wasn't okay before is now okay. So recognize that your body is always changing and evolving and adapting and identify how it is for you. Don't just say, well, I know so-and-so who lost 30 pounds when they cut out X, Y, and Z, so that's what I'm going to do. There's no guarantee that that will or won't work for you. So knowing your own body is always, always, always the best approach, and it's always going to be my recommendation. But like I said, there are legitimate risks as well as legitimate rewards for dairy. For me personally, there are certain types of dairy I absolutely avoid with no exceptions whatsoever because I believe that certain things are dangerous to my health. There are other types of dairy that I'll enjoy moderately. Uh, butter is the only dairy product that I enjoy on a daily basis. The rest I approach with caution and boundaries that I have determined work well for me. And even with butter, there are certain standards that I use when choosing butter so that I can avoid different um, for what for me are health landmines, common ingredients in conventional butter that I avoid. I don't eat conventional butter. But again, what I do doesn't define what you should do. And I want to talk about the arguments for and against dairy. And I want to define some of the general rules of thumb for the good, better, best, and awful dairy choices and what can be potentially very dangerous versus what are some of the benefits that you might want to proceed in a moderate way. Remember, this is just giving you tools so that you can make a choice for yourself based on how you feel and what works for you. I'll always recommend a real basic elimination test where you go dairy-free for a couple of weeks and you see how you feel, you add it back in slowly and monitor how your body adjusts. One of the arguments for and against dairy, and it's kind of irrelevant, but I'll bring it up anyway, is whether or not our ancestors, like Paleolithic communities, consumed dairy products. And it, I say it's irrelevant because... 
it's it's healthy or not, it's good for us or not, it's fat loss friendly or not, regardless of what happened, you know, thousands of years ago. Uh, but it's still it's still worth making the point because this is something that's widely debated in the community. And, um, you know, have you ever tried to milk a wild animal like, you know, run up to a run up to a um, woolly mammoth and say, hang on right here while I milk you? Uh, so our ancestors, Paleolithic, Paleolithic ages, probably weren't eating much dairy because they were not milking wild animals, obviously. Now, if they killed an animal, they ate all parts of that animal. So. They weren't chasing down tigers to milk them. It's safe to say that dairy wasn't a part of their daily evolutionary diet. Uh, but when they did kill an animal, they would eat all parts, including probably the mammary glands and all those kinds of things. So it was it was there, but it certainly wasn't uh, a daily, weekly, monthly thing like it is for us now. And we are also the only mammal that drinks the milk of other mammals. I mean, if you think about it, not trying to be gross. Well, I guess I don't even need to give that disclaimer. It just is what it is. Milk is filtered blood. The purpose of milk, right? Human milk or cow's milk is to accelerate the development of the young, right? It is nutritionally very, very dense with growth factors and hormones and nutrients that are meant to accelerate the growth of young, right? That's, that's what it is. That's what it's for. So milk from humans and milk from animals is full of hormones and growth factors and other things. Just a logical standpoint. That's what it is. So if you think about it, though, from that standpoint, that can create a little bit of a threat, right? This milk produced by cows is intended to accelerate the growth and development of baby cows, and we are introducing it to our system. Growth hormones, growth factors, things like that. Um immune boosters meant for cows that we are introducing into our bodies as humans. So just from that sort of like logical standpoint of what is milk and what is it intended for can create a place that makes us think, gee, maybe we should pause and think about whether or not this is something that should be a staple in our diet or not. Milk contains carbohydrate in the form of a milk sugar called lactose. And this is, you know, everybody talks about lactose intolerance and all that. In order to break down lactose, the milk sugar, we need the uh, enzyme lactase. Okay, lactase breaks down lactose so that it can be metabolized. Here's the where it gets a little messed up. About 65% of the population, and this is skewed more towards certain ethnicities than others, but about 65% of the overall population is lactose intolerant to some degree because they don't produce any or enough of the enzyme lactase. Here's what's really interesting, though. In general, humans downshift our production of the enzyme lactase after the age of two, two years. After that point, we produce a whole lot less lactase. That coincides with about the age where we stop consuming uh, breast milk from our mother. So it kind of gives us a little bit of an indication that maybe we weren't meant to consume this stuff, right? Here's what's another interesting thing. Raw milk, raw, so I'm talking not like the stuff you buy at the grocery store, but raw milk contains the enzyme lactase. And breast milk contains the enzyme lactase to help you break down that milk sugar lactose. Here's the thing. 
when we pasteurize milk products, so the process of pasteurization kills that enzyme. It denatures that enzyme lactase. So your milk no longer has the ability to break down some of those more irritating uh, things like the, the lactose, which when you don't break it down, obviously causes GI distress and other discomforts. So if you aren't producing lactase, you're going to have a very hard time digesting pasteurized milk. And remember that milk in its natural form contains this enzyme to help you break down this difficult milk sugar, but pasteurization denatures or basically renders ineffective that lactase enzyme. Okay. Many people know that they are lactose intolerant. They instantly have a reaction when they consume milk products, right? GI distress, constipation, diarrhea, cramping, bloating, whatever. But as with many things, many of us don't know whether or not we're lactose intolerant because we're so used to the crappy way that we feel that we haven't associated it with the foods that we're eating. So we're at this place where the way we feel, we kind of think is status quo, and we've never questioned gee, could I feel a whole lot better? Actually, I have this conversation with people on a regular basis when they're things like, oh, I sleep fine. Well, how do you know? Right? I mean, just the fact that you can fall asleep and stay asleep, how do you know what it would be like to really get true, deep, restorative sleep? You just accepted it as the status quo. So when people say, oh, I feel fine when you have uh, something like dairy, well, how do you know that your energy levels aren't really are really 50% of what they should be, right? How do you know that your stomach constantly being puffy and bloated is the way that you are and you couldn't, you know, drop two or three inches of bloat around your belly just by cutting out something that you don't realize is an irritant? So this is something that's Real significant, a lot of people just don't know that there's a problem because they've accepted the status of their health as just sort of the way that it is. And they don't understand, and rightfully so, because it's been that way their whole lives for, for as long as they can remember, that if they made a change, they could feel significantly better. And the most common things that people feel with lactose intolerance are going to be indigestion, constipation, diarrhea, bloating, skin issues, inflammation, things like that. The only way to truly identify if you're struggling here is to do an elimination diet. I recommend to go at least for a couple of weeks, 14 days, to really see if there's an issue. Another common allergen that causes a problem in dairy products is casein. And casein is a protein. Uh, So we talked about lactose, which is milk sugar. Casein is a protein. And It's the reason that like ghee and clarified butter are great options is because it doesn't have the casein in it, uh, the milk protein in it that a lot of dairy products do. But that is a major allergen, a major trigger for a lot of people. Even if you have no problem with lactose, you might have a sensitivity to the protein casein. Let's think about a couple of major factors that really come into play with dairy. Even if we're designed to consume the milk of animals, which, I mean, we're not. We're designed to consume the milk of humans, of course. But let's just pretend for a second that we were designed to consume the milk of animals. We have to consider what's going on with the factory farming of our animals and then the way we're processing their milk after the fact. So it's not like, you know, 
Bessie the cow is out roaming in green pastures and, you know, dad goes out there to milk her and brings the milk in and we drink cow's milk that way. We live in a very different day and age and we have to consider the impact of the way these animals are being raised and what happens afterwards along the way to that milk to make the products that we are consuming as dairy, right? There is you got to realize there is a massive, massive, massive gap between dad goes out and milks Bessie and the craft uh, block of cheese sitting in our fridge. So we have to consider both of those things because they can have a major, major impact on our health. Let's talk for a second about the way animals are raised. And this could be 65 million shows in and of itself. And I'm going to kind of cover this with a broad brush. But it is something that if you guys want me to, we can go into a lot more detail on. So just get in touch with me and let me know if this is something you want to hear more about. But we're already 15 minutes in and there's so, so much to cover. So we're going to kind of mm, take a broad brush approach with all this. But let's consider the way conventional animals are raised. And I'm not trying to say that every cow in the United States is treated this way, but we need to understand that when we're talking about the milk we buy from the grocery store and the the Dannons and the Yoplays and the Crafts and the whatever, we're talking about factory-raised animals. They are treated with hormones to accelerate their growth and maturation and to increase their total yield so that the farmers make more money. So in addition to the hormones that naturally occur in their milk that we're introducing, even if we were to drink the milk straight from Bessie, we're talking about major additions to these animals to accelerate their growth and maturation and increase their total supply of milk. Those hormones are passed through their milk and we are introducing them to our system when we consume these conventionally uh, raised and pasteurized products. The other thing we need to consider is Bessie the cows out there eating grass, right? But these factory farm animals aren't. Animals used to graze on grass. That meant their milk was full of vitamins, minerals, healthy bacteria from the soil, omega-3 fatty acids, because the omega-3s are more abundant in the grasses. But these animals that we're talking about, when we're talking about conventional dairy products, they aren't grazing. They are being fed the cheapest food possible, grains and corn. And what happens if we as humans were to eat a diet that was like 90% grains and corn? We'd raise our blood sugar. We'd produce more stress hormones. We'd produce more insulin. And this happens in the animal. This feed, this grain and corn feed, is very rich in the pro-inflammatory omega-6 fatty acids, whereas I said the grass is higher in the anti-inflammatory omega-3 fatty acids. But this diet that they're fed, this grain corn diet, is high in omega-6s and it creates a very unhealthy hormonal environment in the animal. And of course, that is representative in their milk. The diet they are fed is obviously very insulinogenic, right? They're producing a lot of insulin because this diet generates a major blood sugar response. So traditional conventional cow's milk has a pretty high amount of bovine insulin. And we know that for fat loss, right, managing our insulin response is super, super important. We don't want to be adding additional insulin, especially bovine insulin, to our system. Now, of course, it doesn't work in the same way. It's not 
It's not the exact same insulin. Bovine insulin is different and our body recognizes it as different. But here's the problem. That is exactly the problem. Our body recognizes it as a foreign substance and tries to fight against it. Right? So as soon as it enters into our circulation, it's recognized as foreign and it's flagged by the immune system. Attack, 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 attack. And we're creating this autoimmune reaction because of these foreign bodies that we are introducing to our system through the food that we're eating. Another thing, and like I said, we could go into this for 65 episodes, but these conventionally raised animals are raised in very poor conditions where not only they're not well fed and they don't get enough exercise, they're crowded, they're often sick, and they're brutally slaughtered. And this increases the production and secretion of stress hormones, and those absolutely positively make their way into the milk. So hormones is one factor, but then you got to realize that because of the conditions and because these animals are bred for um, productivity and longevity and try and get the most yield out of their lifetime, they are pumped full of antibiotics. Toxins, hormones, antibiotics, pesticides and herbicides from their food, these make their way into the milk. Of course they do. Of course they do. Think about the way humans are so concerned with their breast milk if they consume alcohol or if they take prescription drugs because we know that these things pass into the milk, right? So we have a combination of the hormones naturally produced by the animal plus the hormones and the toxins and the antibiotics and whatever else that's administered to them in the conventional settings, whatever's in the feed that they are consuming. And we're talking about milk that contains estrogens, progesterone, thyroid stimulating hormone, testosterone, growth hormone, bovine insulin, insulin-like growth factor, and a barrage of antibiotics that we are knowingly introducing into our system when we consume these products. One thing we need to keep in mind, as I, I mentioned this a second ago, these dairy farmers, they're, they're here to make money, right? They're not here to give us the highest quality, most delicious, healthiest milk. They're there to make money. And the more milk that they get from the animal, the more money that they make. So what they'll do, because um, these, these female cows, they're only going to produce milk in the, the later part of their pregnancy and during the suckling period. So these farmers will artificially inseminate the cows three months after they've given birth so that they're constantly producing milk throughout the entire duration of their pregnancy and afterwards, and they're they're pregnant all the time. So they are creating a situation where the milk has an artificially high amount of hormone in it because of the way they are manipulating the natural cycle of the animal. And I want to... I want to be responsible with this information and I want to emphasize that in order for these hormones to impact us, right, in order for these hormones that are getting passed through the milk to impact us, they have to survive the processing process, if that even makes sense. They have to survive the manufacturing process of whatever dairy product and then they have to survive our digestive process as a human when we consume the product and it has to pass through the barriers of our GI tract, which sounds like an uphill battle and sounds very unlikely, but here's the thing about milk. Because it is designed, the whole purpose of milk is to transfer nutrients from the animal that produces the milk to the young, right? Or from a human mother to her infant, from a, from a mama cow to the baby cow. There are what's called protease inhibitors naturally found in milk. A protease is an enzyme that breaks down protein. So milk naturally contains inhibitors 
of these enzymes that break down proteins. These hormones that we're talking about that we do not want introduced into our system from a cow, those hormones are proteins. So these protease inhibitors protect those hormones in the processing process and in our metabolic process. So while they might normally, if it was just, you know, in a, I don't know, if it was in any other form, right, not coming from the milk, without these protease inhibitors, it would probably be metabolized and broken down. But milk is designed to protect these things so that they can pass on to the baby that needs it for nourishment. There are inhibitors of these enzymes, so we are not breaking down these proteins. So that kind of makes them more likely to be absorbed and not be destroyed in the digestive process. Beyond that, our gut barrier, the the lining of our GI tract that is meant to protect us, is not what it should be in most cases because of the standard American diet, where we are constantly introducing irritants into our system. I don't know if you've ever heard of leaky gut, but basically it means that the protective barrier of the GI tract isn't so great at protecting us anymore, and it lets all sorts of foreign particles in. Now, you might not have full-blown leaky gut, but chances are, if you're one of those people that's kind of adhering to the standard American diet and constantly introducing these irritants, then the barrier of your, your GI tract isn't what it should be, and you are more likely to be letting those potentially damaging particles into to your bloodstream because your GI tract is not protecting you the way that it should be. All right, so there's the factor of the hormones naturally produced by the animal. Then there's the hormones administered to the animal, right? There's the problems with the feed that the animal is being fed and that that passes through the milk. And then the 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 antibiotics, the pesticides, the herbicides, all those kinds of things, right? So that's part one. And then part two is how the dairy product itself is processed. And the process of pasteurization and homogenization to common processing techniques with dairy makes some not so fantastic changes to the dairy product. So again, we're not living in a day and age where Bessie goes and roams in the grassy field and dad goes and gets the milk and brings it in and, you know, we churn it by hand to make our butter. That's not what's happening. The pasteurization and homogenization make some kind of crappy changes. Yes, they do remove some of the harmful bacteria. I'll give you that all day long. But in the process, they also remove a lot of the good bacteria. They also strip or denature, inactivate a lot of vitamins, minerals, and other nutrients. They eliminate the good stuff. All the reasons that we should have like raw dairy products, the process of pasteurization and homogenization kind of take that stuff away. And homogenization, pasteurization changes the structure of the healthy fats in dairy products, making them less stable, making them oxidized, which makes them more dangerous to us when we consume them. Another thing we need to consider is that dairy products in general are considered insulinogenic. They create a rise in our insulin levels that is not equivalent to the rise in blood sugar. What do I mean? Typically, when we eat a food, if it raises our blood sugar, there is a matched rise in insulin, right? So you raise the blood sugar by 20% and you get a matched response of insulin. But dairy isn't really like that. Dairy 
doesn't raise the blood sugar as much as it raises insulin. So we see a larger insulin response than we do a blood sugar response. Now, if we do this intelligently, that can be a good thing because remember that insulin helps to shuttle nutrients to different parts of our body. So that can be a good thing. But when we're constantly introducing these less than stellar dairy choices, we can be creating a situation of insulin resistance in the body by introducing these dairy products. And I mentioned at the beginning that there are sort of awful, good, better, and best dairy choices. And I kind of joke when people ask me, what should I look for when I buy dairy? And I say, Raw, organic, grass-fed, whole-fat, hormone-free, antibiotic-free, pesticide-free. And when you think about that, and I'm, I'm being cheeky, but it's true. And when you think about that, sometimes it's just easier to avoid it altogether because the potential risks for some people outweigh the benefits or it's just too hard in their area to find good uh, dairy choices. Now, if you happen to have a Whole Foods near you, or you have a great farmer's market, it can be so wonderful to find these products that are organic, that are from grass-fed animals, that are whole fat and hormone-free, which you'll sometimes see as RBGH-free. RBGH stands for recombinant bovine growth hormone. So it's basically saying it's free of these hormones that accelerate the growth of the animal because you don't want those in your system. So if you have a great farmer's market near you, absolutely go there and take advantage of their clean dairy products if they have them. And those keywords you're looking for again, and I'll put these in the show notes over at primalpotential.com, organic, grass-fed, whole fat, right? Because when they strip the fat, they're more often than not, they're adding sugars, but they're also taking away a lot of the stabilization of the product. They're taking away a lot of the really important nutrients in that product. So you don't want to go with a highly processed, low-fat dairy product. So you want organic, grass-fed, whole fat, hormone-free, which sometimes is RBGH or RBST-free, antibiotic-free, pesticide-free. If you can't find that, you know, organic is going to be a better choice than conventional. Grass-fed is going to be a better choice than conventional. Whole fat is always a better choice than low fat or reduced fat, right? Your worst case options are going to be the conventionally raised product, right? So just the jug of generic milk, right, or the craft cheese block, um, low-fat dairy or fat-free dairy or flavored dairy, so the highly flavored yogurt products. If you're going for yogurt, you really want to follow the same rules, and it can be hard to find. I have a lot of great stores near me, and I still find it hard to find something um, that works. But you want to stay away from the sugar-sweetened dairy. Anything conventional that doesn't have these hormone-free, grass-fed, organic, antibiotic-free, all those kinds of things, be very, 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 very careful. I occasionally put cream in my coffee, but I get grass-fed organic cream that's from hormone-free cows. Why? Because I know, having been overweight for a long time and being a woman who cares about my fertility, I do not want to be introducing these hormones into my system Every once in a while, yeah, I'll have Ben and Jerry's, but am I going to do it on the regular? Oh, no, no, no. Uh-uh, no way I won't. So what about cheese? 
hard cheeses and raw yogurts, right, that are fermented products, they're going to be fermented uh, during the fermentation process. The bacteria in the product, it needs energy. The, the bacteria to stay alive needs energy and it, and it eats the sugar in the dairy during the fermentation process. So these healthy bacteria in these products are gonna eat up the sugars. So that's a great uh, option for people who are lactose intolerant. However, you still want to follow the same guidelines with products coming from grass-fed animals. And I've been saying cows, but it's the same thing if it's you know goat product or whatever else. You wanna make sure that they're grass-fed. You wanna make sure that it's hormone-free. All of those things are very, 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 very important. And it's not, I believe in moderation. So am I condemning, you know, uh, I was going to say a hoodsie cup, but holy moly, am I dating myself? I haven't had a hoodsie cup since I was like seven years old. Anybody even know what that is? Little, little tiny cup, single cup of ice cream that's half vanilla and half chocolate in a little cardboard cup. Totally delicious. Anyway, totally full of God knows what hormones and whatever else. But anyway, my point is... <laughs> I'm not condemning enjoying ice cream. I'm really not. Are there alternatives? Absolutely. Make your own from coconut milk or from whatever else or from grass-fed, hormone-free, heavy cream or whatever. There are options. But it's not to say that you can't ever avoid uh, eat those things and enjoy them, but you need to understand what you're doing. Everything should be done from a conscious decision-making place. And it always comes back to pay attention to your own response. You can get... The vitamins and minerals that people associate with dairy products like vitamin D and calcium from meat, fruits, and vegetables. No question. And you can get those those types of things more easily without the chemicals. It's easier to find organic fruits and vegetables than it is to find dairy products that meet the standards we just talked about. If you are someone who has an autoimmune condition, if you are somebody who is gluten intolerant, if you have IBS or you know you have a bacterial overgrowth in your GI tract, then you really want to think about getting rid of the dairy for sure. But if you're just an average Joe out there, I would encourage you again to do a couple weeks of an elimination diet and see how you feel. I like to say everyone needs to assess this for themselves. My personal stance is that I try to make responsible choices with my food because I don't want to introduce toxins to my body for any reason. Um, if I if I am going to do ice cream, I will try and make the best decision I can or I will buy it on my own. And when I have conventional dairy products, it is once in a blue moon. So I hope this was really helpful. I'm going to summarize this information on the show notes page at primalpotential.com under the podcast tab. You can search the keyword dairy and the show notes will come right up. But if there are additional topics that you want to hear about, if there are parts of this that I touched on but didn't go into detail, please let me know. Also know that I will go into, uh, on the show notes page, I'll put some resources so you can look at the clinical studies that back up a lot of the information that I talked about here. Because don't take my word for it. There is research that, that documents these things and you should pay attention to that. 
I hope this was helpful. Please get in touch with me. You know I want to hear from you. You know I want to uh, help you overcome your struggles. And this is one thing that has continuously come up. So I wanted to address it here. But learn for yourself. Know what works for you. And don't feel the need to go full bore right out of the gate. It is totally okay to make slow, gradual changes as you feel comfortable and as your body needs you to change. So until next time, guys, stay healthy.